Well, we come now to the conclusion of the Order Salutis. There'll be one more message after this, but we began this conference in eternity past. It's been a long conference. <laughs> you think you're tired. <laughs> yeah, I spent a month here one night, so... <laughs> We began our study of the Word of God focused upon the doctrine of sovereign election which transpired in eternity past, better stated. That God set His distinguishing love upon His elect, and He chose them by Himself and for Himself. And He gave them to His Son in eternity past to be His chosen bride, and commissioned His Son to come into this world, to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless and perfect life, to go to the cross, and to secure the salvation of all of these elect ones. And we trace the order of salutus within time. We talked about divine calling. We talked about sovereign regeneration. We talked about conversion. And we've talked about adoption and perseverance. And so in this session that will bring to completion the order salutis, I want to take us to eternity future. And the doctrine of glorification. And so I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter in the entire Bible. And what an appropriate place for us to conclude our study of the order of salutis, the order of salvation. And in Revelation chapter 22, I want to read verses 1 through 5, and in our session during this hour, we want to work our way through this glorious text. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. This is God's inspired and errant and infallible word. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of his street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night and they will have no need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. In these verses, the veil is pulled back, and we are allowed to peer into the future. 
to see what awaits us. We are given a brief glimpse of our future glorified state in heaven. And what, and what awaits us far exceeds the most glorious thought that has ever entered into your mind about what heaven will be. To be glorified means that our salvation will be brought to final and full completion. And it is the climactic stage in the order of Salutis. What began in eternity past will be brought to consummation in eternity future. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 29 and 30, those whom he foreknew, these he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, who is the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. The group that God began with in eternity past is the group that God will bring salvation to conclusion in eternity future. There will be no dropouts along the way. There will be no additions along the way. But the elect of God in eternity past will be brought within time into saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They will be justified and they will be presented faultless to stand before the throne of God. It is all of God's grace. And this future and final state of glorification includes entering into the courts of heaven itself, the, eradic the eradication of our sin nature, the transformation of our physical body into the likeness of the resurrected, glorified body of Christ. It will mean entering into the immediate presence of God and looking into the face of God, shining like 10,000 suns in the sky above. It will involve receiving the full knowledge of God, knowing Him in its fullest. It will include being reunited with loved ones and fellowshipping with all of the saints from all of the ages. It will involve serving the Lord, and it will involve worshiping the Lord and glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. We will be given glorified eyes with which to see God's face. We will be given glorified ears to hear His voice. We will be given glorified knees with which we will bow before His throne. We will be given glorified hands to cast our crowns before His feet. We will be given glorified hearts to love and adore Him to the fullest. We will be given glorified minds to, to know Him. We will be given glorified feet with which we will come again and again and again before His throne. We will be given glorified mouths to praise Him. 
and glorified lips to sing to Him forever and ever and ever. And in this glorified body, it will never become weary. It will never become tired. It will never need to sleep. It will never need to rest. We will be endued with power beyond our comprehension to glorify God forever and ever. That's what awaits us. And so this passage is is but one glimpse. We, we just pull the veil back ever so slightly, and in a small ray of light from heaven comes shining through and gives us but a... allows us to but gaze for a moment at heaven in the glorified state. So I want to give you several headings to walk through this, and I want to walk through it rather carefully with us. The first thing that I want you to note in verses 1 and 2 is the river of life will flow. Notice it begins, then He showed me a river of the water of life. That He refers to this guiding angel that is giving John this tour of heaven and this tour of future events that will lie at the end of the age and a tour of eternity future and the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. So this this angel showed me, John, a river of the water of life. John sees heaven as paradise. He sees it as a spectacular, beautiful garden with the tree of life and the river of life and beauty and splendor. And this is reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. But paradise lost will now become paradise regained. But it will be far more magnificent than the Garden of Eden. It will be far more filled with splendor. We gain far more in Christ than we ever lost in Adam. And the latter will far exceed the former. And this river of the water of life will be continually flowing throughout all of the ages to come. It's a river. It's not a narrow, shallow creek. It's not a stream that's just trickling. It is a, a flowing river, a, a mighty surging river with a, with a current that is deep and, and it is wide. And what is in this river, this river is the river of life. It is living water. It is life-giving water. It is life-sustaining water. It is life replenishing water, and it will be an endless supply that that will flow, and it will provide satisfaction and fulfillment throughout all of the ages to come, and it will supply our every need. In reality, this river of life is the life of God Himself that is flowing from the throne of God 
And we will just be drinking in more and more and more of God and more of the life of God. Jesus said in John 7, verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That that was just the baby pool. That was just the, the shallows. We will step into oceans and oceans and, and oceans of, of living water. He says it's clear as, as crystal. Absolutely pure water, without any additives, without any worldly iniquities, without any earthly pollutants, and as much as you desire. He says, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the image here is that it's flowing not just from the throne, but from the one who sits upon the throne. It is, it is flowing from God Him, Himself. And in reality, our lives will be filled to overflowing with the fullness of God Himself. It's unimaginable to us. We love Him now by faith, but then by sight, and, and, and then we will just drink of the fullness of God without end throughout all of the ages to come. And at the beginning of verse 2, it says, in the middle of the street, that there's this main thoroughfare that is leading to the throne of God that allows us access to the throne of grace. And this, this, this street is, is pure gold like transparent glass, and it is flowing, the river is flowing from the throne and from God Himself, and in, it's flowing in the middle of the street. It's the river of life. And if that were not enough, second, the tree of life will flourish. We see in verse 2, on either side of the river, meaning on, on both sides of the river, there's, there's, there's a, a left bank and there's a right bank of the river was the tree of life. And the idea is that it is so large and, and, and spreading out its, its limbs that it, it covers both sides of, of the river and, and of the street. It has this overarching effect. And the tree of life is also giving life. And it is also giving abundant life and eternal life and supernatural life. And the image here with the river of life and then the tree of life, it's the abundant life. It's life upon life upon, upon life. And abundant life means His supply far exceeds our need. As if there would be any needs. Because God Himself will fulfill all of our pleasures. And He Himself will be our satisfaction. This tree of life in, in verse 2 says, Bearing twelve kinds of, of fruit, 
different aspects of this full, abundant life is being represented here. And it's yielding its fruit every month. And so the idea here is that there is constant diversity and, and constant variety in, in heaven. And that is, there's, there's nothing monotonous where everything is just the same, but there is this constant changing month by month by month throughout all eternity. And, and, and one fruit may be intensified love. And then the next month, intensified joy. And the next month, intensified peace. And God just pouring it out and pouring it out and, and pouring it out, lavishing it upon us. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of, of the nations. This word healing comes into the English language as therapeutic. And the idea that these leaves along with the fruit are refreshing and reviving and, and replenishing and never leaving us empty or flat or deleted, that we will be forever invigorated and revitalized and endued with the fullness of life in Christ forever and ever and ever. And when it says the healing of the nations, this is not universalism. It's referring to the elect of God down through the centuries out of all the various nations of the world. In reality, it is all the redeemed of, of all of the ages. In the picture that is being accurately presented to us is that we have barely even begun to live right now. I mean, we were spiritually dead and we now are alive in Christ and we have eternal life. But what we have experienced at this point is, is, is but nothing compared to the eternities of, of what lie ahead of us. That the best is still and always yet to come. In this glorified state, there will be forever. We will be forever joyful and happy and exhilarated and elated and, and energized. We will never be sad. We will never be downcast. We will be never dragging around heaven. We will never be in slow motion. We will be forever radiant and, and beaming and overjoyed. This is the, the reality of glorification. It, it is salvation on steroids. It is salvation exponentially to the highest degree. And it is the goodness of God just being lavished and, and poured out upon the chosen bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then third, in verse 3, we note the curse of God will be removed. In verse 3, we read, there will no longer be any curse. And we remember from the book of Genesis in chapter 3, how, how God cursed the earth and thorns and thistles, and you will work by the sweat of your brow, and it will be hard labor here upon the earth, and God's curse on the woman to bear children in childbirth with pain, and the curse upon the serpent confined to crawl on its belly in the dirt. And you and I, this very moment, are living 
on a planet that is cursed by God. But in this glorified state, not only will we be glorified, but God will remove the curse from the new heavens and the new earth and the the new Jerusalem. And we will live in, in a way that not only did God previously design, but it will far exceed by removing the curse as we serve the Lord, as we will see later in this text. It will not be hard labor. It will bring us greatest pleasure and we will be enabled to carry out every, every task and every assignment that will be given to us. There will be in this new state no sickness, no sorrow, no tears, no death, no funerals, no hospitals, no emergency rooms, no droughts, no famines, no hurricanes, no earthquakes, nor no tornadoes, no floods, no tsunamis. It will be a world, a new heaven and a new earth without the curse. There will only be perfect health in a perfect environment with perfect conditions for perfect people living with perfect harmony and a perfect life. That's what awaits us. No wonder Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die, much better. Gain. And then fourth, we see the throne of God will be central. That's at the end of verse 3. The throne of God will be central. And, and he says, and the throne of God and, and of the Lamb will be in it. Of course it'll be in it. But it'll be in the very center of it. In the midst of the new Jerusalem. In the midst of the paradise of God, where it'll be accessible to everyone, where it'll be seen by everyone. And everything in heaven finds its proximity to the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, a door is opened and John says, I was, was caught up into the third heavens. And the very first thing that that John sees when he enters into heaven in this extraordinary out-of-body experience as his body is on the Isle of of Patmos and his, his spirit is just catapulted up into heaven and an angel giving him a guided tour of heaven. The, the first thing that captures the, the mind and the eyes of, of John is, is not streets of gold. It's not gates of pearl. It's not who's there or who's not there. It's a throne. And what dominates Revelation chapter 4 is this throne, which is the epicenter of the entire universe. And in verse 3, there's a rainbow around the throne. 
And in verse 4, there are 24 thrones around this throne of God and of the Lamb. In in verse 5, there are lightning and thunderbolts that are that are coming out from the throne. It's a dynamic throne. And in verse 5, there are seven lamps before the throne. And in verse 6, there's a a sea of glass-like crystal before the throne. There's still this separation of the throne, even from the, the redeemed, that God throughout all of the ages will always be holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty. The God who was and who is and who shall be forever. And so even around the throne, it's set apart. And we read that there are four living creatures in verse 6, guardian angels around the throne. And in verse 8, praise being given to the one on the throne. And in verse 10, 24 elders just falling down before the throne and then casting their crowns before the throne. Everything in heaven is revolving around the throne upon which the sovereign sits and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, the next chapter, John begins to weep because he sees in the hand of the one upon this throne a a scroll written on the inside and outside. Every detail of of human history is already pre-recorded in this this scroll. And John begins to weep that that no one is able to, to take the scroll out of the hand of him who sits on the throne and bring human history to its God appointed end. It seems as though all of history is in chaos and the nations are in an uproar and the people's devising a a vain thing. And one of the elders says, stop your weeping. The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and he approaches this throne and takes the reins of history and takes the scroll. We're not waiting for the end of the age for that to happen, my friend. It's already happened upon the return of Christ back to heaven after his ascension and exaltation and enthronement. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And he now is the executor and the administrator of the sovereign predestined will of God for history. And he will bring it all to its appointed end. And so when we are there, we will see this throne. And we will see the one upon the throne. And the one next to him upon this throne. And we will see that the throne is still standing. And that this throne is still occupied. And that this throne is approachable. This too will be a part of our glorification. And it will overwhelm us. Beyond any comprehension here today. We will be stunned. 
at the throne and him who sits upon it. And then fifth, in verse 3, the saints of God will serve. We read, and his bondservants will serve him. And I think the hymn refers to Christ. And his bondservants, these are all the redeemed of all the ages. It's the Greek word, as you know now, no doubt know, doulos, which means slaves. We will be glorified slaves in heaven. We will not, we will not become little gods. We will never attain deity. We will be his slaves, bought with the price, and we will serve him. And this word for serve, it, it indicates that we will have assignments and responsibilities and, and tasks and, and, and duties. We're, we're not going to be just laying on a cloud in heaven and, and angels dropping grapes into our mouth. <laughs> if, if that's what it is, I'll, 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 I'll take Texas. No, we, we are made in the image of God, and God is a working God. God is working every moment of, of every day as He is carrying out the affairs of, of providence. And we are made in the image of God, and there is this work ethic that has been instilled in us, being made in the image of God, and we glorify God by working and doing what He has assigned us to do here upon the earth. We may retire from our vocation, but we will never retire from God's work. Not in this life, nor in the life to come. And we will derive great pleasure and joy and happiness from performing the assignments that are given to us. And there's some indication that to the degree that we are faithful in this life, we will be given responsibilities in the life to come. And he who is faithful in little will be given authority over much in the life to come. What a motivation for us to be serving the Lord right now with all of our hearts. And then six, and this is, this is the highest pinnacle. Sixth, we see in verse four, the face of God will be seen. This is known as the beatific vision. And theologians down through the centuries have understood that this is the greatest blessing that can ever be bestowed upon any human being. Is that you would see the face of God. In ancient times, only the inner circle those in the family of the king, those who served at his, literally at his elbow and side, could ever see the face of the king. Citizens would go their entire life without ever seeing the face of their king. Peasants and serfs would live their whole life and never see the face of their king. 
But this king allows us access to come before his throne and to look up at him and not just to see him, but to see the most personal part of him, his face. And how this works out, I do not know because God does not have a physical body. God is spirit. And that is the uniqueness of the incarnation that the eternal Son of God took upon Himself sinless human flesh and He became the image of the invisible God to us, Colossians 1.15. And throughout the Bible, God the Father reveals Himself simply as, as bright shining light, the, 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 the glory of, of God shining. Moses said, show me your glory. And God revealed Himself in magnificent light display. And so how this all works out, I, I, I do not know, but this says we will see the face of God. It speaks of the intimacy of our relationship with Him. It also speaks of, of, of the awesomeness of being able to have this kind of vision of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. And in Psalm 11, verse 7 says, the upright will behold his face. And in Psalm 17, verse 15, we read, the psalmist David says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. This is the highest blessing of all blessings. For you to have this kind of proximity to God in heaven and this vision of God and this increased knowledge of God it will absolutely overwhelm us. It will be jaw-dropping. It will be heart-pounding. It will be breathtaking. It will be soul-throbbing. It will be knee-bending. We will be stunned. And that is why we have to have a glorified body in heaven Otherwise, we would burn up like a cinder in the presence of God. You will see God one day. And then seventh, the name of God will be inscribed. In verse 4, and, meaning inseparably connected. These, these are all links in one chain. And His name will be on their foreheads. A name represents all that a person is. A, a, a name represents the entirety of who a person is. Whenever someone says, Stephen James Lawson What stands behind that name is 
the sum and the substance of all that I am. And to have the name of God written upon our foreheads means that we will bear the mark of ownership as though we are branded by God. And it will be on our foreheads that He is constantly at the forefront of our thoughts. Be thou my vision will come to full consummation. He will be our best thought. He will be our highest thought. He will be our supreme thought. We will be imprinted with the divine name upon our forehead. Upon our forehead, it will say, Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, Kyrios, Theos, Jehovah Jireh. The name of God will be imprinted on our forehead and we will belong to God and God will belong to us. God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And then eighth, as if this were not enough, the glory of God will shine. And we read in verse 5, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord will illumine them. There's three negatives and then a positive. Three negative denials and then a positive assertion. There will no longer be any night. There will be no darkness. There will be no night and day. It will just be one eternal day. There will be no sleeping. Always awake and alive and alert unto God. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp. There will be no need for any artificial light. He says, nor the light of the sun, which is a God-made light. And just like you would snuff out a candle on your dining room table, God will snuff out the sun. And God Himself will light up the universe. And the glory of God, this Shekinah glory, this bright, shining, effervescent, radiant being, presence, essence of God, the veil will be completely pulled back. And God Himself, whose face shines like the sun, will light up the entire galaxies. This bright, outshining, kabod, doxa of God. We read in Revelation 1.16, His face was like the sun, shining in its strength. 
referring to the glorified Christ, but not just a son. As I already said, 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 sons beaming forth from his face, unveiled deity. And at the end of the previous chapter in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 23, and the city, referring to the new Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lord. This one who says, I am the light of the world, will become the light of the universe, and the light of the new Jerusalem, and the light of the new heavens, and and the new earth. Verse 24, the nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and they will bring their glory into it and lay their glory at the feet of the Lamb. And before His glory, there will be only one glory, and it will be the glory of the Lamb. Verse 25, in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. We will be able to go in and out and in and out of the new Jerusalem and, and, and travel throughout the new heavens and, and the new earth and in our glorified body. We will have no spatial limitations. Just like Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, He just appeared in the upper room. And then later, He just appeared on the road to Emmaus. He had supernatural capacity just to to travel and to walk through walls. And and we will be able to go in and out through the gates of the the new Jerusalem and and discover all of the glories of what God has created that that lay out there. We're just a a small little speck in the, the galaxies of the universe. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nation's into it. Verse 27, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Beloved, what awaits us? It's incomprehensible. And it's so incomprehensible that John is reduced to images and figures of speech to represent the reality. A picture is always less than the reality of what it represents. And if this is the picture, my Lord, what must await us on the other side? And then finally, at the end of verse 5, number 9, the servants of God will reign. And though we are slaves, there will be much dignity in our serving the Lord because not only will we serve Him, but we will reign with Him forever and ever. Notice it says at the end of verse 5, and they, referring to the bondservants, verse 3, those who see his face, verse 4, those who receive his name, the imprint on their forehead, verse 4, they, that's who 
will reign. They will share in the reign of God and of the Lamb. And it speaks of how our mind, our heart, and our will will be so one with God that as He reigns, we reign with Him because we, we are made in the image of God and now restored and made like Christ in heaven. Of course, we will share the same passion and the same direction and the same will. And he says, forever and ever, literally ages to the ages, without end. This, this will never come to an end. This will go on throughout all of the ages and ages and ages to come without end. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we will have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. In Revelation 3.21, Jesus said, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. My, my God, what must that represent? That the Lamb will bid us to come and to sit on His throne with Him and to rule and reign with Him? What, what, what must this mean? In Revelation 4, verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns, subordinate thrones under the supreme throne, representing all the redeemed of all the ages, the 12 tribes of Israel, Old Testament, 12 apostles, New Testament, and a federal headship of representing all the redeemed of all the ages before him who is the ultimate federal head overall. So in this eternal state, faith will give way to sight and hope will give way to reality. And the old things will pass away. And behold, new things will come. Temptation to sin. Presence of sin. No more. Conviction of sin. No more. Confession of sin. No more. Repentance from sin. No more. Chastening for our sin. No more. Trials and tribulations, no more. Persecution, no more. Spiritual warfare, no more. All that awaits us in our final state of glorification is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever to the fullest, to the max. And it will be the fulfillment of the ironic blessing Numbers 6, 21, 
We will experience this to the fullest. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. This is what awaits every single believer in Jesus Christ. And no wonder Paul said the surpassing sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. May God bless your heart with this truth from this word. Let us pray. Father, thank you for just a moment, just a fleeting moment, just a parenthesis in time today to allow us to see the other side of the veil, to see what awaits us in glory. And Father, I pray that you would enlarge our heart for the world to come. We can become so preoccupied with the things of this world that we lose sight of the world to come. Saints in centuries past were riveted on the world to come. Lord, make us so heavenly-minded that we will be at last earthly good. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.